Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare show. This is where we get to explore the human side of healthcare and figure out how to better help the person with the problem. Today I'm joined by Jasmine Marcus. Jasmine is a physiotherapist, a physical therapist, sorry, and writer. Jasmine, welcome. It's very cool. And it's uh, we've had a couple of false starts on, on this one, uh, but I'm very excited to have a conversation with you today. And I like to kick things off just by asking, why are you interested in the art of healthcare? Why are you interested in the human side? Yeah, so physical therapy is actually sort of a second career for me. I had always planned on going into journalism. It's what I focused on as an undergrad, and it's where my first job was after graduating college. And so becoming a physical therapist, I still wanted to sort of keep that side of my life. But then I think I also have sort of an understanding of what it's like to be an adult and not be in the medical profession and sort of know what it's like to be a lay person in a way that maybe some people who go into it from an earlier age don't always remember or understand. Yeah, interesting. And what is like what has that given you, I, I guess, in terms of being an adult person who's not in the in the health industry like what's what skills or what qualities has that given you that maybe someone who went into it when they were 18 or 19 or 20 doesn't have I think just an understanding of what the average person knows and doesn't know because you know even highly educated people if they're not in healthcare a lot of the times they don't know some of the things that we take for granted you know even i've had engineers say like you know it has to be my ligament and if you actually say to them do you know what a ligament is they don't know what a ligament is they don't know what how it's different from a tendon other things we take for granted at least in the US if you go to your doctor for any sort of problem musculoskeletal they're probably going to do an x-ray first and a lot of people will say like, oh, well, there's no problems because my x-ray was clear. So even just understanding their understanding of what is on an x-ray, which, you know, an x-ray really isn't going to show that much. It's going to show arthritis. It's going to show if you have a fracture, which most people aren't guessing whether they have a fracture or not. And then besides that, it's not really showing you anything else. So sometimes just being able to say like, okay, you had an x-ray, but this is what it actually shows. And this is what it doesn't show and having an understanding of how much maybe they don't understand that process. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a really interesting point actually, because a lot of us, I mean, we've, we've gone straight into talking about the stuff and thinking about the stuff from like what the male brain doesn't fully develop until you're like 25, I think mm -hmm. sometimes later for some people, I'm sure <laughs> potentially me, but like, before our brain is fully developed, we're starting to talk this way and we're starting to think that this way. And it's really easy just to slip into those patterns of everyone knows this um, mm -hmm. and, and just to take it for granted. So I think that's a, it's a really important point for us to be remembering as we're, as we're interacting with people. And 
I just wanted to ask as well, like why, why the switch? Why did you, why did you change from journalism to physical therapy? Yeah. So I was in journalism as an adult for about a year or so. And this was 2010, 2011. So there was a recession here and it was also a time where the news media was really changing. So a lot of newspapers were shutting down and there wasn't a ton of websites and there a lot of my friends were really struggling to find jobs, to maintain jobs. And I sort of had a more realistic picture once I wasn't in college anymore to say, like, I don't want to have so much instability in my career for the rest of my life. So I started looking into other things. I'd had physical therapy a few times in high school for different running injuries. And then my dad kept sending me those lists that you see, you know, the top 10 most growing careers, (laughs) things like that. Physical therapy was always on them. And eventually I just sort of clicked and I said, you know, I really am interested in it and it's something I'd like to do. So I, I learned a little bit more about it. I got a job um, working as an aide at a clinic and really enjoyed that and decided to go back to school, take a few extra classes and then go to physical therapy school. Amazing. And never look back. I never look back. And you, Jasmine, you're, you're obviously passionate about communication with, mm-hmm. with patients and with the general public as well, which is, which is awesome and we want to talk about today. Why do you think communication is so important? I think it's just that's what makes the difference because, you know, so one of the things I do is I read essays and edit them for people who are applying to PT school and something that a lot of them bring up, which is true, is that there's not a certain way to treat anything. So you could have five different people come in for back pain, and they could all have five different causes and five different ways to be treated. And so the only way you're going to know what is causing someone's pain, and more importantly, how to fix it is by communicating and is by talking to them is by maybe educating them on some of the aspects of their treatment. And yeah, I mean, I think we probably all had the experience when you have a patient who isn't speaking the same language as you. We've seen, I think we've all probably seen how much harder it is to to treat them, to get them to understand what's going on, because it's not as simple as, you know, come in, you know, I'll massage you or I'll do this and everything will be fine. And if it was, you know, we wouldn't need to communicate. Mm, yeah, although some people think that it is, and some people expect yeah. that that's what it is, and of course. it's a hard sell not to massage those people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Jasmine, what in terms of communication, what what value do you think going through journalism first has brought to your ability to to do that with patients? Yeah, I think so. There was a lot of people when I was making the switch who, you know, it seemed it seemed like such a huge change of direction to them. But to me, a lot of the things were pretty similar. Where as a journalism journalist, I was meeting new people every day and asking them a lot of questions and finding something out from them. And that's exactly what I do as a physical therapist. You know, every day you're meeting someone new, you're asking them a million questions, you're trying to figure something out. At the end of the day, I'm not, you know, writing an article about them, but a lot of the basics are there, which is learning how to ask good questions, learning how to answer questions for people, learning, trying to understand what other people are thinking. All all those skills are kind of go hand in hand with both. 
Yeah. And then you get to write a really robust set of patient notes afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, how do you ask a good question? That's a big question, I know. Yeah. I think it, I think it really depends. A lot of times I try to, so I was also, I also majored in psychology. So you talk a lot in that about leading questions. So, you know, do you want to ask a leading question? Do you not? If you really want to know how someone is doing, you might ask a more open-ended question. But sometimes I think if you're, especially when you have patients who maybe are a little bit more negative or need some extra encouragement, I might purposely ask them a leading question to sort of make them feel a little bit more positive. So I'm, instead of just saying, how are you feeling? I might say like, so you're feeling a little bit better, right? And almost hoping that they'll say yes and start to feel a little bit better because one of the things that one of your previous guests talked about was a huge part of getting better is believing that you're going to get better. Mm. So sometimes knowing how to ask the right question might sort of help the patient along with that mindset. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think probably another part of that, that leading question as well is that you can start to build a little bit of momentum in terms of people answering you as well. Uh, because mm-hmm. sometimes it is like trying to get blood out of a stone with, with people that if you start, and we're, we're all told, start with the open questions. Mm-hmm. But at times it's really, really challenging. So starting mm-hmm. with some of those leading questions for people that you're struggling with actually mm-hmm build a little bit of rapport and get you going, don't they? Yeah. Especially I treat a lot of teenagers and sometimes teenagers don't know how to answer these questions. So if you just say to them, like, when does it hurt? They'll say that they don't know, or they don't remember. So you have to be a little bit more like, does it hurt while you play soccer? Does it hurt while you sit at school? So you have to sometimes ask them more simple questions because sometimes it's their first experience, really healthcare providers. They don't really know what type of information you're looking for or, how they can help you. Yeah. And some teenage teenagers just kind of communicate with it. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully my editing software doesn't just chop that bit out. Jasmine, are there any aspects of being a journalist that have maybe hindered you? Hmm. I think something that I'm missing a little bit in the career is a lot of times with journalism, you have almost like instant gratification. Like you write an article, it gets published, people see it, and you have like a physical product to be like, I did this and I'm proud of this. And sometimes um, as a physical therapist, you know, you're treating people, some of them are getting better, maybe some of them aren't getting better or aren't getting better as fast. So sometimes you kind of come home at the end of the day and you're like, I don't have anything to show for what I did today. And, you know, I'm proud of some of what I did and could have done better on other things, but I didn't like create something or know for sure that I did a good job. Um, Like if I write an article, I can share it with my family and they can tell me how wonderful I am. But if Mm -hmm. I come home from my job as a physio, they don't, they don't know what I did or how I did it, or they're not really seeing the product. So you sort of have to be proud of what you're doing by yourself. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And that's, that's not something that I'd thought of before, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's probably like that in, in a lot of health professions that like every now Mm -hmm. and then you get a, you have a big win with someone and Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll go really, really well. And you get that, you get that feedback and you get that validation, but it is, it's still quite intangible. 
Like other people, mm-hmm. other people can't see it. I mean, how have you how have you wrapped your head around that? It's probably one of the reasons why I try to kind of keep my hat in all things. <laughs> it's probably why I do try to do a little bit of both. But early on in my career, one thing I did was I would keep a list um, of patients who I felt really good about helping or had a really positive interaction with, or sometimes patients that I like knew I had really helped because sometimes you treat someone and they get better and you're like, well, would they have gotten better anyway? <laughs> so, <laughs> for, so I remember like one person on the list was a woman who had had a reconstructive surgery after having breast cancer. And for five years, she couldn't raise her arm like more than, you know, I don't know, 90 degrees. And I worked with her and we got her almost full range of motion back. And I just remember thinking like, okay, it had been five years. She wasn't about to suddenly get better. And so I sort of made a note of like, I definitely helped her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, because there's so many patients that we don't know if we're helping. Yeah. I I mean, natural history is a wonderful thing. And I think there's a quote out there that it's an old school one. So it's, it's about physicians. I think it's the art of the physician is entertaining the patient until nature takes its course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think you can definitely chalk up that, that case study that you just brought up with the lady that had had it for five years. Natural history probably was, was not an effect on that one, but that's a really great strategy, I think, because especially when we're newer, newer clinicians, mm-hmm. it is really hard to know. Are we helping people? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? We don't really have anything to show for it mm-hmm. apart from a paycheck that we get fortnightly or monthly, depending on where we're working. Yeah. Uh, and you can kind of start to, you start to question your ability. And I think you, you question your abilities anyway, mm-hmm. because Everyone else seems to know so much more than you, but also like with, with people getting better or not getting better, you're like, am I, am I doing a good job here? Like, Mm -hmm. is this, is this something that I should continue to pursue? But that like what you've shared there is really, really helpful. I think for, for people at any stage of their career, but especially the ones that are starting out. Yeah, I, I should probably start that list up again. But yeah, it definitely helped me at the beginning when you really just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, no, like, not too many lay people are, are listening to this and thinking, <laughs> oh, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. We never know what we're doing. I know. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, do people first starting out as brain surgeons feel the way I felt at the beginning of my career? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I think the. the the lucky thing for the people that are starting out as brain surgeons is that they've been doctors for what, 10 or 12 years before they yeah, get the chance yeah. to and start they, I think out. they have a lot more training and supervision than you do yeah, as a physical yeah. therapist. I, I know a couple of brain surgeons and yeah, they've, they've put in a lot of hours. What do, what do healthcare providers get wrong, do you think, when we're trying to communicate with patients? Like what are some of the, thing, the themes that you see other, other people getting wrong? I just see a lot of negative language. You know, I think we've all had the patient who comes in, you know, and they're 45, but their doctor told them they have the knees of an 80 year old. So how, you know, how is that person ever going to feel okay? And a lot of, that's one reason why I've sort of gotten more and more into trying to do research and read research is 
so many of the things that we sort of put the blame on, you know, winging scapula, bad posture, flat feet, you know, all these different things that we sort of maybe were taught early on, like this is the cause of your pain. More and more, we're seeing that they might not cause pain and, you know, posture, having not great posture is okay. And a winging scapula doesn't mean your shoulder is going to hurt. So I think it's also communicating things about that. I mean, the other day in the clinic, I heard someone telling, it was actually his PT student saying like, oh, your knees are hyperextending. And he was just sort of making it out to be like this horrible thing. And I think, you know, all you're doing with the thing when you use language like that is you're making someone scared. You're potentially decreasing the movement they're going to do. You know, maybe she's not going to go to the gym as much because now she's scared she's going to hurt her knees. And so I think there's using positive language and then also trying to not point out things that we don't think are relevant anymore. So I think there's sort of an expectation, you know, when you watch your patient walk, you should point out 10 things that are wrong with how they're walking because that makes you look smart and that's what they came to you for. But at the end, all you're doing is really scaring them. And I've seen patients say, you know, like, I don't really walk anymore because seven years ago, a physical therapist told me I had heel whip. And the woman doesn't even know what heel whip is, but she knows that it's something bad with her feet and she's scared to walk. So I think it's in addition to being positive, you have to think about if what you're saying even has value. So maybe you notice the heel whip, but if you don't think it's contributing to their pain or if it's relevant, like maybe you don't need to even say it to the patient and risk scaring them and stopping them from doing things. Yeah, really, really great point with that. And I think we're, we're trained to look for problems with mm-hmm. it. And I think I've had this conversation with, with a few people is that the language that we use, that we're taught to label those problems with as well is very, very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's no excuse for telling someone they have the knees of an 80 year old. That is just, yeah. you're not yeah. trained to do that. Just if you do it, stop doing it, please. If you see exactly. someone doing it, tell them to stop doing it because it's it, it makes everyone else's job so much harder. And I think it's it's starting conversations like this one that we can we can hopefully start to change how we're discussing people's problems in a more in a more positive light. And I think yeah, like we're we often want to try and disseminate all of the information. So if we pull out the ten things that that differ from the normal in mm-hmm. parentheses we want to tell someone and i don't know if that's uh if that's we're wanting to feel valuable to that person mm-hmm. and share a whole lot of information or if it's an ego thing that we're wanting to just say actually you have come to the right place because i've picked out all of these things that are wrong with you i'm very very mm-hmm. good what's like what what kind of strategies would you utilize to, if you've picked up some of those deficit to communicate in a positive way, what might be going on for a patient? Yeah, I think one way to do it is to explain how common a lot of the things we're finding. So this is a little different because it's not directly observable. I had a patient with neck pain recently who was about to go for an MRI. So before, before she could get the MRI and get the results and everything, I just said, look, you're almost 60, like X percent of 60 year olds will have 
a bulging disc or arthritis or something on their MRIs, I am almost certain that your MRI is going to have that. So expect that, but also realize that it is very common and all those 50% of people or whatever percent of people have that, they all don't have neck pain. So it could be what's causing your neck pain, but probably, you know, her pain had been very recent. So I said, if we had done this MRI two months ago, you probably would have had the same, the same mm. picture. So these things might not be what's causing your pain. So don't get overly excited about them if they come back and sort of just setting that expectation for her. And luckily she also had a doctor who felt the same way. So when the results came back, it, you know, it ended up working, but just trying to reframe things. I think that things are common and that they may or may not be causing pain. And, you know, you're not necessarily going to fix arthritis, but you can recover and not be in pain. So I said, I think I also said, you know, in six months, you could still have the exact same MRI, but you will most likely not still have your neck pain then. Mm. Definitely. And one of the orthopedic surgeons that I've worked with has a great, has a lovely analogy. And I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not his and that he's picked it up with somewhere, but he's never referenced it. So talking about the the changes on MRI scan as normal age-related changes, kind of like the wrinkles in your face or the gray hairs yeah. that you're starting to get, um, mm-hmm. that the face that looks back at you from the mirror isn't the face of the 16-year-old that uh, used to look back at you. The mm-hmm. same thing kind of is happening inside your body, that you're getting some wrinkles, you're getting some gray hairs. And that's, that's what shows up on the MRI scans. Yeah, exactly. And I've, I've heard that MRI, or I've heard that analogy too. So it's, you know, I've, I think I once said, you know, if, if, <laughs> or maybe it's just traveled the world. That's why I said, like, you know, if you were coming to me for headaches, I wouldn't look at your forehead and say, oh, it has to be because you have wrinkles on your forehead. You know, um, mm. the two things can both exist and be unrelated. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's another nice way to put it. Do you have any tips for us stopping using negative language? I mean, we've been, we've been trained to use it and it -hmm. it starts to become automatic for us to at least to think that way. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we break that cycle? Do you reckon? Yeah, I think just really trying to come back to what is the goal of what you're saying. So it's kind of, as we said before, you know, is the goal for you to sound really smart to the patient and and maybe even think to yourself that you're very observant or is your goal to help them? And if your goal really is to help the patient, then I think we all sort of know instinctually that having a list of all these negative things isn't going to be helpful. So trying to remember kind of why you're saying all these things in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, just thinking about this, there's probably a time and place for people to actually sound really smart. Like at times, <laughs> like if you're a new graduate clinician who is what, 20, 23, 24, but looks like you're 16, mm-hmm. actually dropping some knowledge bombs in there is is quite valuable probably early mm-hmm. on to, to get someone on your on board with actually not thinking that you're just a child and you know what you're talking about. Um, But (laughs) there are other ways. Yeah. There are other ways to do that than pointing out all of the problems with this person's walking uh, that you can do. I'm also interested, Jasmine, in terms of communicating with, with the general public, 
as well because I know you I know you do a lot of that and I think more and more health providers are communicating with people who aren't their patients about health health issues about how we can improve our health and I'm interested like one to start with like why why that fascinates you but also mm-hmm. are there some principles that we could we should be using to communicate that way as well because I think that's it's probably a different communication skill set mm-hmm. to actually a one-on-one interaction or a one to a small group interaction mm-hmm. yeah I think a lot of what makes me passionate about it and think about it is just you know, now that I am a physical therapist, all of my family members and my friends come to me and they want advice or to tell me about their injury. And so I feel like it's a less formal relationship, of course, than patient and provider. So I have, maybe sometimes they're more honest with me and then I can sort of dig in with them in a way that I couldn't with my patients. So, you know, when one of my family members says, I really think it's my ligament, I can say, do you actually know what a ligament is <laughs> in yeah. a way that I, that I would never do to a patient? So I think just seeing, you know, some of the misconceptions, you know, thinking of another, I, for some reason, everyone is very caught up on stretching and thinks it's so important to stretch. So, so many times I've had a family member describe something that is just like clearly an overuse injury, like they've never been running. And then all of a sudden they ran a 5k every day for a month and got hurt. And I'll be like, Oh, it's because I didn't stretch afterwards. And so, and I, you know, we've, I think we've all probably had experiences like that repeatedly. So it's just, it makes me kind of wonder like, why does everyone think stretching is so important? And how do people not really understand the concept of overuse and how can I in a small way start to change that? And you know, instead of just maybe treating my couple patients and my few family members, like, can I write an article that explains that that can reach more people? And then a lot of things sort of go in trends. So once someone starts to write about, I don't know, for a while last year, like drinking, like celery water was cool. Uh, So, you know, it's like once these little trends take place, everyone starts talking about them. So, you know, maybe I write that stretching isn't the be all end all. And I hope that other people start to write that too. And it sort of becomes, I don't know if if trend is the right word, but it sort of becomes more of a dominant narrative than Mm. stretching is going to cure every injury that you might ever have encountered in your life. So it's sort of just my way to make, change on a slightly larger scale than Mm. just by treating the patients I see. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And we're still, we're probably still waiting, I think for that salary water one to come to New Zealand. It usually (laughs) takes a while for things to get here, but that's the first I've heard of salary water. Okay. Doesn't sound delightful. I don't remember what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, What principles do you operate from in terms of when you're, when you're trying to communicate with, or when you are communicating with the public that way? I really try to do research, even if I'm not necessarily going to, even if it's not the type of article where I need to be citing research or something like that, because there's so many things that are just sort of ingrained in us that we believe. And then you sort of wonder like, you know, I think we've all heard like you need to hold a stretch for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And one of the articles I was writing, I went back and actually researched like, do we know why you need to hold it for 30 seconds or 60 seconds? And there's actually like 
not really good research on that. So some of the things that we take for granted that just sort of get perpetuated because people recite them over and over again, you know, might not actually be true or might not actually be the only way to do things. So I try to think about like, what do we know is true? What are we, or what are things that we just think could be helpful because they seem like a good idea. Mm. So it's really kind of going in, actually challenging your own perceptions around mm-hmm. the, the truths that you hold mm-hmm. um, so that you can then go and communicate them with other people. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. And I like to try to make people more skeptical too, sometimes of what they're reading. Obviously it's, it's a much larger topic now with fake news that, you know, sometimes people will come in and they'll say like, Oh, like I heard that, you know, such and such is going to cure this. And I think like I've had patients who will say like, Oh, a certain like stim machine is going to like cure all my pain. And, you know, sometimes I'll say like, have you read anything on it that wasn't put out by the company? And at a certain point, I'm just like, if it was this real miraculous cure that really worked, do you think that like everybody wouldn't know about it already? So, you know, we've had, I'm sure you've had the patient who comes in and it's like, what's the exercise I can do to have a six pack? And, you know, maybe they're 50 pounds overweight. So, and they want you to tell them that there's one exercise they can do. And I, you know, I've said, if there was one exercise to do, don't you think we all would have done it? <laughs> mm. Wouldn't we all know it? <laughs> it's celery water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think just encouraging people sometimes to look beyond what seems like the most easy solution or the thing that they've heard and trying to encourage people to be a little bit more critical on how they think about things too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just kind of twigged a connection in my brain and around nocebo effect. So people Mm -hmm. often come in and they, they've got some, some nocebo effect going on or they've got some ideas around, around what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing that we disagree with. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you go about challenging those ones in a positive way? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it starts just from asking questions and sort of saying, you know, like, well, where have you heard that? Or why do you think that that's true? You know, I'm thinking about the stretching example, you know, why, do you think you need to stretch? Well, stretching is normally for tight muscles. Do you have any muscles that are tight? Do you think, you know, do you think that stretching would be beneficial when you do stretch? Does it feel any different for you? So not to keep going against stretching, but so trying to sort of challenge people's beliefs by asking questions and trying to figure out, you know, why they are saying something or why they're understanding something. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it, it, it is just that exploration of, of belief mm-hmm. and ideally trying to probably drop your biases a little bit with it mm-hmm. as well, which is really, really hard to do when we think a certain way. And obviously we're like when we're sometimes when we're asking these exploratory questions, it's to lead to a point where <laughs> we can drop some knowledge bombs on them mm-hmm. um, and say, actually, no, maybe it's, maybe it's not. I mean, do you have any, do you have any tips about, about dropping the, your biases? Because I think we're I like, think as a, as a journalist, you're, mm-hmm. you're obviously trying to do that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Of course. Yeah, I think it sort of comes back to what I was saying before about just trying to remember where people are coming from. So I'm coming from a, this is what I study and do research on and read about all the time. And, you know, this other person might not be interested in health and fitness and doesn't really pay attention to it. So they're not going to have the same background that I have or be as interested in it. So trying to understand that if they just heard one thing about it, that is all that they really wanted to do with that topic. You know, they didn't want to do all this research and look into it further. And they don't have the background to maybe even understand if they did want to do more of their own research. So just trying to remember where people are coming from when they, when they think these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been, I've been thinking a little bit about social proof recently as well. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of people come into us and, and all they see is social proof that their dad's had a bad back for 30 years and Mm -hmm. I've got a back injury now and I'm going to be in trouble because of this, because my mm-hmm. dad was, and that's, that is their experience with back pain. And that is the information that they've had for so long that mm-hmm. us quoting research articles at them is maybe not the, it's maybe not the thing that is going to, to shift them to feeling much better. Yeah, of course. Jasmine, do you have any other hot communication tips for us? that we haven't talked about already that we should be, we should be trying to utilize in our practice. I, it's not directly related to communication, but I'm a big believer in trying to make sure you're exposing yourself to ideas that are different than your own, because, you know, I used to work at a very small practice with only a few other PTs and, you know, they would sort of, hold in services on how to treat patients and recommend that you take certain continuing ed and then sort of everyone eventually sort of started to think the same way and this was early in my career and eventually it actually was social media that sort of broke me out of this because I started to find physical therapists who thought differently and said different things and I know one of your episodes was talking about ultrasound like this clinic used a lot of ultrasound and this is when I was finally reading things that were sort of showing like ultrasound doesn't necessarily work here and so it really changed the way I practice to sort of open myself up to these other opinions sometimes these opinions you know they link to research so you're not just reading opinions and I don't always like to read comment sections but every once in a while if people are arguing I think it's interesting to try to try to understand both sides of the argument so with you know manual therapy is a really good example with some people saying it doesn't work, never doing it. And then other people saying it does work and sort of getting to the nitty gritty of like, it it is probably working, but not for the reasons you think it is. So that's, I think it's really good to sort of just get out of your own bubble and start to recognize that, you know, we see all these physical therapists treating in many different ways, there isn't one right answer. So trying to see how other people are doing it, seeing why what they're doing works, why it doesn't work. And I think that's really my biggest piece of advice is just to try to burst out of your bubble. Mm, Yeah, because it's really easy to get trapped in there. Uh, And I was Mm -hmm. having a conversation with one of my mates who's, who's recently changed jobs. And I asked him, I was like, why did you, why did you leave? And he said, it started to feel a little bit like a cult Mm -hmm. that people were just trying to, to, 
push that same idea. And he's like, and a few of the ideas were great, but a lot of them were probably not the most beneficial ideas in terms Mm -hmm. of treating patients and working with them as well. Yeah. So Jasmine, what should we do after listening to this? What should we do in our clinic room this afternoon or tomorrow? I think take a break when you're talking to a patient, you know, a mental break, try to ask yourself where they're coming from, you know, what they might be thinking, you know, like we said before the podcast started, there might, there's a little bit of a power imbalance. They might be nervous. They might, they almost definitely don't have the education that you have in this particular area. So trying to really understand where patients are coming from, I think is the biggest thing. And then I said, the other thing to do is go, I am a big proponent in being on social media professionally and just really, like I was saying, opening yourself up to learning from different people, seeing how other people are doing things and just really looking outside of your one clinic where you're working. Actually, let's, I, I'm just going to a question about social media, a proponent mm-hmm. of being on social media as a consumer of mm-hmm. information or as like a producer of health information. I'd say as a consumer, I think being a producer also has benefits. I use that a lot in my editing and writing business. But I, when I was speaking to this, I think more as a consumer and Mm. just reading what other people are putting out there and, you know, you don't have to go crazy with it and put all your time into it and, you know, read the comment section and all of that. But just trying to say like, okay, there are other ways of thinking about things or other ways of doing things that I might not have thought of before. Mm. Have you got an account or two that you could recommend to us <laughs> that maybe oh. challenge challenge <laughs> you to step outside of your bubble a little bit? Yeah, I think there's a group of Greg Lehman, Adam Meekin, some of those physios who maybe do things a little bit differently. And yeah, well, I think their work and maybe the work of people like them who I followed has really been what sort of changed the way I practice. And it just sparked questions in me, you know, you know, if we read the ultrasound isn't really evidence-based anymore, do you still do it? Do you not do it? You know, there's, there gets arguments that can be made for both sides. So just sort of, instead of just doing ultrasound, because everyone else in my clinic does ultrasound, like really thinking about like, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. And this is why. And now I've read studies about it. And I have thought about what to do if that one patient still comes in and asks for it. And just sort of really trying to examine the issue as best as I can. Yeah. It's thinking about why, not just blindly following it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't follow Nick Hanna, Hanna Moves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You should definitely yeah, so be I following put, him. I put so. him in that. Yeah. yeah. Jasmine, th- uh, if people want to find out more about you uh, and what you do, where should they go to, to do that? Yeah. The best place is probably my website, which is jasminemarcus.com. Um, I'm also on social media, <laughs> as you can probably guess. I am, I'm J Marcus DPT on Instagram and Twitter. And as we talked about, I don't produce a ton on that, but I consume it a bit and always happy to reach out to people. Awesome. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This was great. 
That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in August 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.